1: I'm Brian Brushwood. Here's the thing about scoundrels we love them. We love them in our books, in our movies, in our comic books. And to be clear, we don't hate to love them the way we would an anti hero, somebody we don't like but feel we have to go along with. We love scoundrels. Folks who are naughty, who skirt the very edges of propriety. But if there's one thing we love more than a scoundrel, it's a scoundrel who begrudgingly does the right thing. I spent 20 years touring all over the United States as a stage magician. And whenever I had the choice, I would never use the M word. Because when I say the word magician, you're already thinking of birthday parties and somebody who has a plan to make you look like a fool. And it's an unfair bias. I love magic. When I pitched Scam School, an entire channel dedicated to learning the fundamentals of magic, I refused to ever admit that it was a magic show. And in fact, for the first few years, you'll never hear me say the M word on this show. Instead we position it as how would you like to be the coolest guy at the bar, the one who is always drinking for free. Now when you phrase it that way, there's only one archetype you're thinking of, and it isn't a magician. We love a scoundrel. Now there are several ways a movie can make you love a scoundrel. First is to make him handsome chiseled, symmetrical face, your Danny Oceans, your Han Solos, Dreamboats, all of them. The second trick, and this goes back to Robin Hood and beyond, all the way back to the Odyssey, is to pick a victim who's got it coming. When you're stealing from somebody who the audience agrees is sufficiently rich or evil or both, then we justify not only what they're doing, but we cheer for how they pulled it off. For obvious reasons, we don't focus on the little people who got hurt on every step in the past of our favorite scoundrels. There's pretty good evidence that, among other things, the Millennium Falcon was designed for human trafficking. For all we know, Danny Ocean was in prison for running a Ponzi scheme that defrauded the elderly of their pensions. But when they use that same scheming brain to make the powerful less so, we root for them. The third part, and this is crucial, is the unearthing of their hidden humanity. Hot damn, do we go wild when we find out that a con man has a hidden heart of gold? Just a touch of honest work goes a long way towards an arc of redemption. Okay, look, I thought we could play this cool, but I don't know that I can. So far, throughout the short run of this podcast, we've told you four stories, and two of them, just within the last year, have been adapted into movies. Both Operation Mincemeat and Quiz. Operation Mincemeat, of course, is the story that we told in season one, all about fooling Hitler. And Quiz is the story of Charles Ingram and the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire scandal that we just told you about last episode. But what you might not know is that both of those movies, star the same man Matthew McFadden he plays Charles Chumley in Mincemeat and Charles Ingram in Quiz but if you're like me you probably know him best as Tom in succession for which he was nominated for an Emmy so here's my confession yes we're going to tell this epic story but know that in my heart of hearts I am pitching to one person Matthew McFadden. If you are not Matthew McFadden and you're listening to this, then it is your solemn duty to do whatever you can to get it in his hands, to casually mention that maybe he should give this a listen. Hello, Matthew. Look, you clearly have an amazing taste for stories with rich characters and gripping conflicts. But now that you've done two movies of stories so good that we covered them on World's Greatest Con think it's only fitting that you complete this trilogy. Now don't worry, we're not going to give you a homework assignment. I handpicked a story, something that has never been made into a movie, something just for you, and it is a good one, too. See, you're a great actor, but in the previous two movies, you played men who were cogs in a machine. What you need to play is a Scoundrel. This is the story of a legitimately bad person who is on the run. He has hurt people with his actions. But in this story, he's not only going to do honest work, but he's going to do it at the expense of a faceless corporation that could definitely stand to lose it. A man on the run from the law tricks a major corporation into believing he's a United States spy he gets on one of their most popular game shows and goes on an epic run, hobnobbing with celebrities. And day after day, he just keeps winning. Ends up with one of the biggest jackpots in the history of the show. Best of all, he does it all fair and square. And just at the moment of success, when victory is assured, all of his past sins come to revisit him. To the best of our research, everything I'm telling you is 100% real. However, it already is so cinematic, I'm going to pitch it to you just like a Hollywood meeting. So get comfortable. You need a bottle of water? I can have Susan run and get coffee for you. Because I want you to steeple your fingers. I want you to close your eyes and picture this movie about... The World's Greatest Con. This episode of World's Greatest Con is brought to you by the pep in your step and the quiet confidence that comes from knowing you've been fully groomed upstairs and down. That's right, we're talking about our friends over at Manscaped and their new Performance Package 4.0, where, yeah, they take care of all them downstairs bits. You get to groom them in all the right ways. You get to smell great out of the shower and carry that with you all day long. But they also take care of stuff you might not think of. Like in the new Performance Package 4.0, you get the Weed Whacker, which, no, is not like a very complicated sports move. It's a way to trim your nose hairs. And do it before it sneaks up on you. Do it before you see one of them dangling out out there and you feel the need to grab and yank and... and, and, manscaped is more than just a company for trimming your downstairs bit with stuff like the weed whacker you can take care of your ear hairs and your nose hairs and you can smell great all day they've got the whole thing figured out and you'll be keeping us in business head on over to manscaped.com that's m-a-n-s-c-a-p-e-d.com check out the new performance 4.0 bundle and get 20 percent off and free shipping plus two free extra gifts Just use promo code MODERNROGUE20 at checkout. That's manscaped.com. Check it out. And promo code MODERNROGUE20. Okay, so we open outside a used car dealership in Indiana. There's a salesman and a guy looking for a car. They're haggling over a BMW freeze frame. This is our protagonist, Kerry Ketchum, which sounds like a made-up Hollywood name, but it's his real name, which makes it even better. Obviously, Matthew McFadyen, who I definitely hope is still listening at this point. This is you. You are Kerry Ketchum. Okay, back to the scene. Kerry and the salesman are friendly. Ketchum says he can make the deal right now. He just can't quite pay what they want. Look, man, he's willing to buy it, but he needs a discount. Ketchum says, look, I know how this goes. have to pretend like you're going to talk to the manager to see if I could pay less, but you're really just going to go get a cup of coffee and hope I lose my nerve and say the sticker price is fine. Salesman is like, I wish. I mean, this manager is a real hard ass. Don't worry, I'll make it quick, though. Salesman heads inside and just like Carrie predicted, sits down to get a cup of coffee. Waits about 10 minutes, watches some TV. Then he heads back out, and when he gets out there, Ketchum is gone. So is the BMW. Cut to carry in the stolen car, big old wide smile. We pan up out of the car with a big blue Hoosier sky, and the name of our movie fades in. The, the, the Liar Man. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at titles. Somebody, they're going to change it anyway. Harry is a legitimate con man. This is not an opinion, accusation, or speculation. It is an outright indisputable fact. In 1987, he's on the run for his life. This is no small potato situation either. He has warrants in multiple states all across the U.S. That stolen BMW from Indiana... By the time it's found, it's abandoned on the side of the road in North Pole, Alaska, a place where it's Christmas all year round, apparently. It's a real place. Look it up. Harry's plan seems to be to lay low for a while, but he wants to stay busy in North Pole. He commits, you know, just a little bit of credit card fraud, racking up a massive bill with the goal of never paying anything. And maybe worst of all, he fills out paperwork claiming that his ex-wife, a member of the US Air Force, has died. So what say I collect all that insurance money in her name? These are the moves of somebody on the lam. Harry's on the run because he knows what's waiting for him when he gets caught. By the time we meet him in the middle of his con spree, he's already spent 18 months of his life behind bars on a felony charge. That's enough time to convince him that no matter what, he is never going back. The longer he's on the run, the more he needs money. And the more money he needs, the more crimes he has to commit. And that list of crimes is building pretty fast. So he knows he can't spend forever in North Pole. It's a small town. Word gets around quick. So he bails. Harry knows he's crossed the Rubicon, but he's looking for an out. He needs a plan, something that can help him get back on the road just a little while longer. Nothing major, just a quick way to score big enough to get him back on his feet. He's got to head south. He needs some quick cash. How to get there. We don't know for sure where Carrie gets his inspiration for this. So this is where we could do some Hollywood magic and bridge things together in a neat little scene that sets our story into motion. Maybe Carrie's at his house packing up to leave Alaska, and in the middle of the day, Super Password comes on. Carrie gives us one of those iconic Matthew McFadden smiles, because suddenly he knows exactly what he needs to do. He's going to head to Los Angeles, the famed city of angels, and he's going to blow them away on Super Password. Except for one tiny detail. You see, Carrie Ketchum is a criminal, a wanted man, and polite society doesn't really have time for his kind, right? You can't just walk up to some TV producers, show some papers and get onto the show like everything's fine and dandy. He needs a new identity. All right, let's think this out. Has to be boring, unassuming, inconspicuous, and at the same time, maybe... maybe an actual person from his past? Quinn. Patrick Quinn. That was a professor that Carrie had in college. He liked Patrick Quinn. He liked his classes. And it's a common enough name. Nobody would suspect a thing. Yeah, Patrick Quinn from Alaska, sure. But what does he do? Can't be a professor. That would be too on the nose. Maybe the kind of job where, with a wink and a nod, people almost expect that you're fibbing about your name? Something classified? Patrick Quinn is going to be a secret agent. Yes, it's too much to walk around saying that you're a secret agent, but if you give it a boring title, a government systems analyst who happens to be stationed all the way up near Russia starts to fit together. Patrick Quinn is a secret agent. Works for the United States as a super secret spy. An American James Bond. By the way, this'll be the part of the movie where you start to wonder just how smart Carrie Ketchum is. He's good at staying on the road, not getting caught, making money, but he's more one of those Coen Brothers-style protagonists. Kind of dumb, real lucky, not exactly a mastermind. All right, back to the pitch. Kerry Ketchum might be the con man on the run from the law. Patrick Quinn is an intelligent, soft-spoken, humble, and well-mannered man. He is on the road to Los Angeles, the place where dreams come true. Transition. Cue the music. We got palm trees, we got Rodeo Drive, we got the Walk of Fame, we got those... Characters dressed up as bad Spider Men, and that guy who just runs around saying, You know? And there it is: the Hollywood sign. We've made it to Los Angeles, and we're about to meet the man who's going to put Carrie Ketchum on TV. Robert Sherman, the producer of shows like Match Game and Hollywood Squares. Nice enough. Typical industry climber who just so happens to be in charge of some of the most popular daytime programming on the air. Okay, who are we going to cast for him? 1980s Hollywood action. Michael Keaton. Uh, uh, That's our Robert Sherman. Okay, so Michael Keaton's there. At this time, Robert Sherman is working on the third version of Password called Super Password. Password has a beautifully simple premise. Two teams face off against each other, one made up of an everyday Joe, the other is a celebrity. The regular Joe is competing for real money, the celebrity is just there to be awesome. One of the two players knows the password, and the other player has to guess it. The player who knows can give a one-word clue to their partner. But if they get it wrong, then the other team gets a turn. Passes back and forth until somebody gets it right. It's so beautiful. There's no trivia, no physical exertion. Hear a word, say a word. Score points, score cash. It's not like you're being rewarded for genius. You're being rewarded for that unspoken communication, that ability to look into someone's eyes and know what they're trying to get you to think. It's this new iteration where Robert Sherman takes the helm. He's the guy in charge of all the day-to-day aspects of the show, and that includes sitting in on the contestant auditions. He knows that the best contestants are characters, people that hypnotically just turn you on, that you want to know more about, people that immediately read as interesting to that distracted daytime television audience. Now, enter the newly minted Patrick Quinn. The American spy, who can't quite tell you that he's a spy, who desperately wants to play Super Password. Needless to say, Robert Sherman knows a character when he sees one. And Patrick Quinn might just be a winner. For this part, imagine the camera is seeing everything from Robert Sherman's perspective. Pans up, revealing this soft-spoken, shaggy guy with a cast on his right arm that he is absolutely unprepared to explain. You squint, he looks a little bit like a Charles Manson if Manson took a shower once, decided to try his luck at a daytime game show. And in his interview, he keeps going on and on about his Alaskan CIA outpost and the work he does with the U.S. government. I mean, it's all a little over the top, But that's what makes for good television. And Sherman isn't new to this. He's produced 12,000 episodes of TV. This is old hat. And yes, even he finds some of Quinn's stories to be a bit unbelievable, a little bit over the top. But man, this is a character. From his look, to his vibe, to his stories. So with his interview complete and the documents checked, Convinced enough to cast him, Sherman hands Quinn a contract. Just a standard release for the boys over at Legal, keep them happy. Quinn barely glances at it and signs his name. But the camera, we linger on that contract for a while. You know, to make sure you know it's important, because like, foreshadowing and stuff, right? Before he knows it, he's on. December 1987 shoot date, and scheduled to air in early January. Patrick Quinn is going to play the game. But we all know it's Kerry Ketchum who's on his way to some quick moolah. It's Password. It's Super Password. Our special guest this week, Phyllis Diller. From entertainment tonight, Leonard okay, scene change. Now we're on the Super Password set. Things are busy. There's grips and production assistants running around. Everybody's smoking all over the place because it's the 1980s. You catch someone, product placement, drinking a tab on the corner. Harry's fidgeting, maybe getting a little bit of butterflies in his stomach as he waits to be called out and introduced by Super Password's host. On one hand, Harry's a con man at his core, lying is what he does, reading people is what he does, and by all accounts he's pretty good at it, he's gotten this far after all. It's hard to picture him screwing up once he gets on stage, but in our movie. I bet you see a single bead of sweat dripping from Carey's brow. This is national TV, and he's putting himself on stage where the whole world can see him. There's risk involved in getting on that stage. But before Carey can have another moment to think about whether or not this is a good idea.
2: Why don't we introduce our our new contestant, let them play the game. Does he happen to have a beard? His name happens to be Patrick. Then let's bring him in. Come Uh, on in, Patrick.
1: Patrick Quinn is called to the stage. Luckily, Patrick's one of those folks who just seems comfortable on TV. He's cheery, relaxed, genuinely ready to play a game that hopefully will be his ticket out of small-time crime and bumming around Winter Wonderland. I'd imagine he's feeling pretty lucky because his first celebrity teammate to kick off day one is none other than Phyllis Diller. Okay, if you're not already familiar, just know that Phyllis Diller is a comedy legend. A massive personality with an iconic laugh. (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres, Roseanne Barr, Joan Rivers, they've all listed her as an inspiration. And at this stage of her career, she's a fixture on Robert Sherman's shows. She brings that celebrity sizzle. Oh, damn though. This is one of those movie moments where we have to overcast a cameo, like uh, Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman would be great. Patrick is ready to play, but unfortunately, his cleaned-up Charles Manson-with-a-cast look is grabbing all of the attention of the audience and the host. So it's no surprise that the second he sits down, Bert's quick to ask about the cast.
0: Hi, Patrick. Hi. Uh, what happened
1: there? Did you... Oh, I
2: had a little bit of an action a couple weeks ago, and uh... but I'm feeling fine. It's... You know, the least of my worries right now. Yes, well...
1: <laughs> not exactly his best response. But it's all good. You just deflect, work your way around the line. You say what you need to say. Come on, man, let's get to playing the yeah. game, right?
0: Did someone uh, slam your hand on the computer there? It looks like you... Uh, no, uh... It You're was not going to a... tell us how it happened, are you?
1: Well, just a
2: motorcycle. Uh, on a motorcycle? Uh, pretty a pretty motorcycle different. ran over your hand? Yeah. Uh-huh. I see. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not what he means.
1: Despite the fact that the host is obsessed with the cast, and honestly, so am I, Carrie manages to play Patrick perfectly. Boring government job. You know, super secret spy stuff. All the confidence he needs in front of those cameras. And here's the surprising part, given that I'm trying to convince you this should be a top-tier movie. Pretty much nothing crazy happens during his run is just really good at Super Password.
0: Nationality. German. Yes. That's a buncha. Chaplin.
1: Charlie. Yes. Good play. That's the one. German. Berlin. Wall. Yes, that's a good play. German. Charlie. Denims. Jeans. Yes. Relatives.
0: All. Family. Yes. That's a good clue.
1: There's no behind-the-scenes kerfuffles. There's no suspicions of cheating. There's no weird coughs. It's just a guy with the skill, the ability to really listen to a person, and then to say exactly what they need to hear. So, of course, he has a surprisingly good run on a classic 80s game show. He has great chemistry with Phyllis Diller, which is great for our movie because you know you want to have an awesome back and forth with Tracy Ullman, right, Matthew McFadden? The exact same talents that made him a great con man is exactly what's making him great at Password.
0: That was unbelievable. All right, now, you know what your total is so far? You have $57,200. That's BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full, important safety information, visit
1: Juvederm.com. After several days of filming, Kerry's run on Super Password finally comes to an end. Altogether, he makes $58,600, which puts him in the top 10 contestants of all time. And he sets a record for the amount of cash earned during the bonus round. Carrie Ketchum's plan for some quick cash could not have gone better in his wildest dreams. Quinn won hard. Carrie, however, now has a problem. He has to wait in L.A. just a little while to get his check in the mail. He's told the money will come through after his episodes air, so that means he has to wait after the holidays. Gotta lay low in Los Angeles, where I would imagine the hardest part is listening to wonderful Christmas time 1,000 times. It's probably fine, right? I mean, just keep your head down for a month. What could possibly happen in a month? Smash cut. Title card says Anchorage, Alaska, January 1988. Maybe we got shots of Christmas lights coming down, but it's still clearly snowy and cold as hell because it's winter in Alaska. Still feels like we're in the holidays. We zoom in on an unassuming bank branch in a small break room where a TV is on in the corner. We see... I don't know, kind of a slightly frumpy suit wearing guy making a sandwich with too much mayonnaise. And just as he's pulling up the sandwich, he hears what's on the TV. It's Super Password. The camera cuts to the face of, uh, I don't know, uh, Patton Oswald. Yeah, no, 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 Patton Oswald. That'd be great. Cuts to the face of Patton Oswald with a mouthful of tuna surprise who realizes who's chatting it up with Phyllis Diller. He drops the sandwich and walks towards the TV, his mouth still full. Because he recognizes not super spy Patrick Quinn, but fraudster goddamn Carrie Ketchum, the same man who just defrauded his bank with a stupid mail order scheme and left him high and dry to face the consequences... And with a mouthful of food, like he's seeing Santa Claus in real life for the first time, we get a full-on close-up of him saying, You gotta be shitting me. Unable to look away from the television, the bank manager fumbles backwards and grabs the phone. Let's take a moment to talk about the single greatest pillow I've ever had the pleasure to sleep with sleep with? That makes it sound like it's a lover. You know what? It is a lover. It is the hollow pillow. A buckwheat pillow that is big and rich and thick and it breathes so it always stays cool. You know that thing in the middle of the night where you're flipping over your pillow trying to get the cool side? Well, when you've got a buckwheat pillow, you don't have to worry about that. Do you wear earbuds in your sleep? I do. I'm a weirdo. I just karate chop that buckwheat down and it nestles in there smooth as can be. I love it so much I have a second one that I lay across my chest, so I can hug, and it's like a weighted blanket on there. Plus, as you move around, it creates this awesome white noise in there, 100% natural. People have been sleeping on buckwheat pillows for centuries, and Hollow Pillow wants you to give it a try for 60 days free. If you don't like it, send it back. If you love it. Keep it. I believe that's what's called purchasing a thing. And best of all, you can support our show by going to hollowpillow.com slash WGC. That's hollowpillow H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O dot com slash WGC for World's Greatest Con. This is one of those few moments where I truly regret that our name is World's Greatest Con because there is no con. There's 60 days of rich, deep sleep and your favorite pillow of all time. And it's all waiting for you with a $20 discount if you buy more than one at hollowpillow.com slash WGC. Oh, this is my favorite type of ad. The ad where I get to talk about the stuff that I care about the most. Me. We have awesome world's greatest con hoodies. You've seen me wearing them on the monorogue channel. Everybody's asking when are they going to be available? Guess what? They are available, but more importantly, you could get one free by signing up for our free giveaway this week at gimme.scamstuff.com. That's G I M M E like not spelled properly like gimme.scamstuff.com. Now, And before you say it, yes, I understand. Scamstuff.com does not sound like a trustworthy website, but then again, neither does a show called World's Greatest Con. And as I always tell people, the only way you get to call your business Scamstuff is by being impeccably honest. So join up for the big giveaway this week at gimme.scamstuff.com. We'll send you an email alert, let you know if you won, and we'll send you an email alert with a discount coupon so you can get one of these sweet, sweet World's Greatest Con hoodies. And look like me, or how you imagine I look. Theater of the mind. Imagine I'm handsomer than I am.
0: This is Gene Woods speaking for Super Password, a Mark Goodson
1: television production. We're back at Kerry Ketchum's motel room, and he turns off the TV just as the credits of Super Password scroll across the television. In the TV, we see the reflection of Kerry sitting on the edge of his bed. He's just been captivated by his own performance. The fourth and final Patrick Quinn episode just finished airing. It all really happened. He really pulled it off. But looking around the room, the time that's passed since the last time we saw Kerry. Have not treated his nerves well. He's clearly anxious. Picture a bunch of half-empty booze bottles all the way around. Nobody from the production company has been following up about his check. And he's got to get back on the road. He knows that staying in any one spot is dangerous. That check needs to be in the mail. Starting to feel like it's been too long. What if somebody at NBC mailed the check to the wrong address? they mixed up the name. Wouldn't it be weird if his old professor just suddenly got a check for 60 grand? The more he thinks, the longer the list of things that could go wrong gets. Finally, Kerry can handle no more. He picks up the phone and he dials Robert Sherman's phone number. Cut to Robert Sherman being a busy guy, but he manages to catch Patrick Quinn's call right on time. Kerry takes a deep breath, starts explaining. Ah, it's your boy, Patrick Quinn. I can't really hang around too much longer. You know how my business is. I need the cash because I got a new outpost. You see, the U.S. government, because remember, I'm kind of a spy. My country, tis of thee, call me back in a service. I'm going to be gone anywhere from 6 to 18 months on a remote listening post in Turkey. Don't cry for me. You know I'll be out there protecting this country from the red menace. But, man, I really do need those winnings right now. Like, right now. Because, I mean, who knows when I'm going to be able to cash a check. Tell you what, to make things easier, I'm willing to come right into the office and meet in person. That way you don't have to mail nothing. Carrie knows that Sherman's a busy guy, so he's surprised when Sherman says, yeah, sure, come on in. Sherman invites him to come in, grab the check himself, Makes apologies for the delay, ends the phone call, couple minutes of small talk, no questions asked, no poking holes in his story. Carrie has to be thinking, man, these Hollywood dupes, they will believe anything. Two days later, Carrie's got his bags packed and a full tank of gas in the car. So he heads on down to the production studio to collect his hard-earned winnings. Even for January, it is a gorgeous day in Los Angeles. Sunny skies, high of 78, exactly the kind of weather you'd thrive in after miserable months in the gulag of Alaska. He takes a deep breath, stands up straight, and he's no longer Kerry Ketchum, he's Patrick Quinn again. He heads on over, shows up a little bit earlier than expected. See him dressed in the same clothes he wore on Super Password. After all, he's got to stay packed light. The secretary recognizes him immediately, says, oh, Robert Sherman's in a meeting, but he'll be with him just as soon as it's over. Here he takes a seat. Maybe he's flipping through a People magazine. The cover says that TV's Harry Hamlin is the sexiest man alive, which I'll back that play. We watch as those precious minutes drag by, the second hand of a nearby clock ticking louder and louder. God, you'd think these Hollywood people would know how to stay on schedule. Carrie drops one magazine, goes to pick up another, just as the door to Robert Sherman's office starts to swing open. He stands up, brushes himself off, finally looks in front of him. And standing around Sherman's desk, he sees a bunch of guys in suits. Carrie makes eye contact with one of them and realizes just a little too late that these men might actually be some of the government agents he's been impersonating. Carrie's face drops and without a thought, he violently turns for the door and freeze frame. freeze on one of those Weird faces that you can capture when you scroll through a video frame by frame. Harry knows something's up. He's 100% right. Wait, uh, let's back up. Let's do one of those cool Tarantino out of order movies. And we're going to flashback now to just before Carrie called up those NBC offices. Because Robert Sherman is not expecting to hear from Patrick Quinn. But he's been thinking about him for days now. See, just after those episodes began airing, Sherman got a call from someone no one in Hollywood, and especially no one working in game shows, wants to hear from the US government. We see in his face, Sherman tenses up as he picks up the phone. Yes, this is Robert Sherman. Yeah, I produce Super Password. Oh my god, is this some kind of cheating scandal? Did something go wrong? Is he in trouble? He's doing one of those awesome like Keaton under pressure scenes before breathing a sigh of relief. Because this call has nothing to do with him or Super Password. Instead, they want to hear more about a recent contestant who's been going by the name of Patrick Quinn. For Sherman, this is a first. I mean, sure, missing people have turned up on his shows from time to time. Maybe like a long-lost relative or a runaway husband trying to avoid divorce papers. U.S. government. This was unheard of. The agent on the other end explains that the man who just competed on his show doesn't exist. Instead, his agency is pretty sure he's a wanted criminal by the name of Kerry Ketchum. Now, Patrick Quinn won a lot of money on his show. So I'd imagine that Robert Sherman is a little bit suspicious. Maybe he's about to be the target of a con. Game shows have been hit in the past. Hell, Michael Larson's run on Press Your Luck was still recent news at the time. So you know that's got to be bouncing around in his head. Is somebody trying to steal Patrick's money? What's going on? I mean, Hollywood is a town full of people pretending to be people they aren't. But if somebody was wanted in three different states and managed to get into his studio, who knows what this guy might have pulled off? An earpiece, maybe? Some kind of inside job with a member of the staff? There's no way he just got lucky. Had won nearly $60,000 straight. So for the moment, Sherman feels like he's the target of a scam. Sherman doesn't know if this person on the phone is in on it, he doesn't know who this Kerry Ketchum guy is, but he knows one thing. He's going to make sure that this Patrick Quinn guy doesn't walk away with the money. The Secret Service agent on the other end of the line says he needs help to bring Patrick Quinn to justice. And if these really are the feds, he'd be doing a public good and solving this dilemma for him, Right. But now how is he going to get Quinn, or whoever this guy is, to come in without arousing suspicion? This guy's got to be good at smelling a trap. He's been on the run for so long. He's got to lay a trap to capture a con man. And just as he leans back in his chair, the phone rings. It's Patrick Quinn, that U.S. secret spy who explains all about how he needs his money right now. Suppressing a grin, Michael Keaton, I mean Sherman, says, Sure, buddy, come on down. We can hook you up immediately. Damn, that was easy. We cut back to the freeze frame, the one where his face still looks all stupid, and it unfreezes. Action scene. (laughs) Carrie bolts. The chase is on. He takes off down the hallway, swinging open a set of doors that leads to the stairs. Carrie knows this building, but not every pathway. Doesn't matter. He's got to get the hell out of here. Screw his cash. Freedom is worth way more than 58000 We cut back and forth as he races down flight after flight of stairs, sweat pouring down his face. He hears the sound of agents tracking him down but has no way of knowing how close they are. As he bolts down another hallway, he sees a door off to the left. That's got to be his best bet, right? Hide away for a few minutes, scramble out when the agents lose sight. He bursts through the door and finds he's in a bathroom good enough do that thing where you stand on a stall and wait and hope that if the door does open it's because somebody had bad mexican food and not the folks who are about to take you to jail and this is our quiet moment crouching on that toilet in the men's room as he prays that the door is not going to swing open trying to catch his breath he's in full-on panic mode All of his past misdeeds and indiscretion are finally coming back to him. The BMW, North Pole, his ex-wife, his old professor, the real Patrick Quinn, Phyllis freaking Diller. (laughs) And then finally, that door does swing open and a pair of black leather shoes slowly approach the stall Carrie's hiding it. The agent requests Carrie come out from where he's hiding, and it's over. Carrie unlatches the stall door, it swings open, and the reality of the situation dawns on him. Five agents surround Carrie, super password winner Patrick Quinn, and he's arrested inches away from a toilet. Officially, Kerry Ketchum is charged with one of his biggest crimes to date, that $100,000 insurance check he collected on his wife's supposed death. But at least he has one last trick up his sleeve, right? His $58,000 in winnings, that's his money. That's real money that he earned. That chunk of change could help him hire a lawyer, maybe pay his bail, get him out of this whole mess, at least for a while. Except for one thing, NBC isn't exactly rushing to pay an on-the-run accused criminal, especially one who fled and hid on top of a toilet to avoid arrest. So NBC hears Ketchum's request for his winnings and politely says... Uh, absolutely not. And this is the part that I don't know matches the movie pitch. Because, is that right? Can NBC just not pay Carrie? Is that a thing that networks get to decide to do is because they don't like The fact that you're an on-the-run criminal, not pay you for the real, honest work you did? By this point, the press has caught wind of the whole fiasco, newspapers and TV stations are covering it, and knowing the value of a PR battle, NBC goes on the offensive. We see headline after headline spinning on screen, luck runs out for a winner as TV publicity boomerangs, reads the New York Times. An early CNN broadcast covers the story, sitting down with employees and even Super Password's host to get their hot takes on the entire situation. And all this time, Harry is sitting in a jail cell. He's not willing to let this go without a fight. I want to be clear here. We all know Carrie's the bad guy. He's the scoundrel. But I'll be damned if he didn't do an honest day's work in his attempts to get out of Dodge. Carrie demands NBC pay him the earnings that he'd won on the show. He sends a mailgram, a mailgram from his jail cell to the production company begging for the money, pointing out that he won everything based only on his skill and merit alone. He also makes sure to squeeze in there, hey, by the way, I did give your show a huge bump in free publicity. But rather than quietly sit on the letter, NBC does the exact opposite. They go right back to the press to showcase Ketchum as a greedy criminal who just wants more cash. The studio's head issues a one-word statement to the AP. Unbelievable. Lawyers at the network accuse Ketchum of violating the Federal Communications Act of 1934. 1934! An ancient law originally designed for radio broadcasts that says it's illegal to go on air under false pretenses. Ah, yes. Hollywood. You know, a place full of people absolutely not pretending to be other people on air, a bastion of honesty. You know, those classic characters that we all know: Marian Morrison, Francis Ethel Gum, Archibald Leach. Oh, I'm sorry, you probably know them under other names like John Wayne, Judy Garland, and Cary Grant. This is so bogus. This is a town founded on people coming up with new identities. And this is what they're going to hide behind. Ultimately, it's Robert Sherman who comes up with the final nail in Ketchum's coffin. He explains to reporters that, look, he's an accommodating guy. And should somebody named Patrick Quinn show up with proof that he recently competed on Super Password? Well, heck. He'd be glad to hand him every single cent of his earnings. Fortunately, Harry Ketchum will never be that man. In a final act of desperation, Ketchum sues the studio for his earnings, asking for the entire $58,600 sum, plus, you know, an extra million bucks for damages. Unsurprisingly, the court says he voided his contract once he handed over fake ID records. The lawsuit is totally dismissed. And as far as the network is concerned, Harry Ketchum never appeared on their program once. Harry spent so many years pretending to be people he wasn't. Exploiting institutions, hurting people that stood in his way, running from the past, hoping it would give him a future. But in this moment, he knows he's done. Even though we played honestly, even though he fleeced the exact same network that looked the other way on the 21 scandal, he beat them fair and square. But his past just caught up with him. Eventually, Carey agrees to a plea deal in May of 1988, spending five years in prison for all of his crimes. Honestly, I don't know much about what happened to Carey after this. That's, That's all real life. For this movie pitch, though, we gotta have an ending. So here's what I'm thinking. Kerry is in prison, serving a sentence when he walks into the rec room and sees, of all things, Super Password. some of his fellow inmates are watching. He mentions that he was on the show, See, he was on the run from the North Pole, made his way to LA, he got on the show and won honestly. Talks about how he knows how to read people, knows what they're thinking talks about how the only reason he is here is because one of the guys he hit for fraud also saw the show and called the feds. The inmate turns away from the TV and looks at him. Then turns back and looks at the TV. You're telling me, the inmate says. You did all that. Came down from the North Pole, won all that money because you're such a good con man. Yeah, says Carrie. There's like a beat as the inmate looks back at the TV. Sure you did, Santa Claus, says the inmate, cracking up the rest of his buddies. Carrie, for a brief moment, is totally annoyed by the mockery. Then he realizes the irony. He smiles one last wry smile, the same one we saw after he stole that BMW. And boom, credits! Inspired by a true podcast. Best picture, The Liar Man. Matthew McFadion wins Best Actor. Brian nods sagely from the sidelines. And it all started because somebody bullied you into listening to this episode of... The World's Greatest Con. This episode of World's Greatest Con was written by Will Saddleberg and me, Brian Brushwood, your humble host. Production and research by Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Credit to the Orlando Sentinel, the New York Times, CNN, the Associated Press, and the Los Angeles Times, which, along with other contemporary news articles, retrospectives, and archived video, made for the bulk of our research. Additional research by Rachel Oppenheimer. Of course, you have questions, and we want to answer all of them at the end of this season. So get yours in by hitting us up at worldsgreatestcon at gmail.com. In the next episode of World's Greatest Con, what makes us lie? When you think about it, that's the question at the heart of this whole series. What motivations go into deception, and how do you truly know what's real and what isn't? For example, next week, three people are going to tell you a story, and none of those three stories are going to totally agree on the most basic of facts. The issue in question? A moment in television history when one man, for the first time ever, bids the exact right answer on the Price is Right Showcase Showdown. This leads to accusations of cheating, betrayal, greed, and of course lying that's next time on the season finale of world's greatest con diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this broker <laughs> dog and pony show audio
2: normally being a little extra can be a bit much